Well, as we get set for week two in the Pac-12, a lot of great non-conference games, but league play is not too far away. Who should be the favorite right now in the best conference in America? You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights and mostly team-free but beloved for one more year Conference of Champions. So if you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app. Create an account. Use code Locked On College for twenty dollars off your first order. So, my man JT Wistersill is here. He's the host of the Locked On Utes podcast on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. For all your all you Utah fans out there, JT, it feels like somehow once again, per our usual arrangement, Utah is getting lost in the shuffle. So, should they be as the two-time defending champs? the undisputed favorites in the league until somebody knocks them off from doing so? And before you answer, just think about this. If this were any other conference, that rule would hold. That is something Utah will never have in common with Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, whoever. It's with those teams in those conferences, it's until someone beats them, they're the top team in the conference. And with Utah, that just isn't the case. So are we doing this charade again where we just overlook Utah, who's a really good football team? I think in a lot of ways we are. I, and I thought that was a great point by you of what you mentioned about how the Utah is so disrespected in that regard. But um, you know what? I think right now, until we see Cam Rising and Brant Keithy on the field, I don't know if you can call them the favorites because as much as I want to and as much as I believe, like they're close to coming back. I genuinely believe that. I've said there's a, a 40% chance we see Cam Rising this week. And if we don't see Cam Rising this week, we're not going to see him again probably till the UCLA game. And Brant Keithy's injury has been even murkier. They were down some starters. And yes, they won without those guys against Florida. But that was a, a really messy Florida team, too. And I think you got to give Utah credit for how bad they made the Gators look overall. I do think that'll be the worst Florida performance of the season when we look back on it. I think that team is a little better than they looked against Utah because Utah is that good. But at the same time, arguably Utah's two best players still haven't taken the field yet. And all the other Pac-12 teams, when you look at the top contenders, a USC, a Washington, as of right now, I think they have – they have everyone out there. They looked really strong in week one. And well, I guess USC's, you know, some defensive issues and stuff aside, but it's still Caleb Williams. He makes a throw every single week that even as a Utah fan, I'm like, my gosh, if I was an NFL team, I would literally lose every single game to have a shot to draft <laughs> that guy. And, oh, yeah. I, and Michael Penix ain't that bad either. Bo Nix had a heck of a week one too. So I think until Utah is fully healthy, you can't call them the favorites right now. But I, the other thing that's tough for Utah is the schedule, right? If they like were able to host USC this year, if they hosted a Washington this year. They have to go to those schools and, and to Oregon State. So that's where if we project the schedule, it's hard to call them the favorites to me when you look at the schedule and the fact that we still don't know exactly when their two best players are coming back. I agree with the scheduling point. I still look at the way they played against Florida. Mm -hmm. And look, we'll see what happens against Baylor. Because if they come out, and it sounds like it'll be Bryson Barnes again, uh, who earned a scholarship recently, I saw. I was very surprised to hear that he wasn't after all the work he's done for, for the last couple of years. So good for him. That's more than well-deserved and probably overdue. But 
I think for Utah, the fact that they came out against a Florida team that's, you know, average in the SEC, but that they dominated them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was from the jump, get a stop, chuck a 70-yard touchdown. And then Florida kind of made it, cl- and then it was never close. They didn't get a touchdown until you know garbage time in the fourth quarter. Like it was a dominant effort. It's why it was the epitome of why I I will not until I see evidence of it pick Utah to lose a game at home. Like I just exactly. don't see it, yep. especially with their home schedule this year. It's not nearly as tough as it was last year. Uh, they do have Oregon coming in. That's probably your toughest home game in. In 2023, but the last one too now, Colorado. <laughs> uh, yeah, could I, I think Oregon's still a better Oregon, team? Absolutely, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, no, I, yeah, that could be a game. It could be a yeah. game to watch out for. That is certainly more interesting than we thought coming into the season. No, no doubt about that. But here's where I'm standing, JT. Coming coming into the year, I had USC as the preseason favorite. They were as such in the betting markets, I think understandably so. Because if you apply all the normal rules to college football, we just choose teams one way or the other for different reasons to to treat differently than the average college football program. But USC adds transfer portal talent to bolster their defense. Did it look better in week two against Nevada? Sure, but I need to see it against Power 5 schools. We'll see what they have uh, against Stanford on Saturday. They are going to be, in theory, a better team in some respects than they were a year ago. That's what we expect from other coaches and other schools, right? Jonathan Smith went from two wins to five wins to seven wins to 10 wins. Jake Dickert went from, you know, a five and four record to a seven and six record last year. And like Jed Fish, one win, five wins. Like that's the normal progression of things. So expecting a team to make a jump in year two is very reasonable. But with USC, of course, well, it's USC. So, uh, you know, USC is not going to get better or anything like that. However, JT, if if Utah goes with their backup quarterback to Baylor, and I know Baylor lost to Texas State, that was an embarrassment. They're not going to have their starting quarterback. But if they go out and, and have two dominant wins mm-hmm. against Power 5 teams from different conferences, one at home and one on the road, and they do it with their backup quarterback, that just makes me think, yeah. well, how much do they have in the tank once Cam Rising and Brant Keithy are there like if Utah wins this game against Baylor and you look up at the final scores 27 to 10 and it was never close, kind of like the Florida game, I, I don't know how I don't catapult the Utes into Pac-12 favorite status until I see evidence to the contrary. Yeah, I, I think you make a great point. And honestly, I think it's going to be a 28 to 10 type game against Baylor. Just having watched that Bears team in that game against Texas State back, I, I think this Baylor team is not good. I mean... We from just that single game, we, and we'll talk about this in the second segment too. But like, we literally went to Dave Aranda is now on the hot seat because of how bad they looked at the first game of the season. Um, but I, I look, I think Utah has a very strong case to be considered the conference favorites. And as I mentioned, if Cam and Brant were out there, I would definitely say they are. I, the only reason I continue to be trepidatious about that is just because we still haven't seen those guys yet. And I just know when you're playing teams that are to the same caliber, you need to be at your best. This is a Utah offense as high as I am on them. That only scored seven points in the second half, and that only touchdown came off a turnover that placed them in the red zone, too. So offensively, we still need to see what they look like with Cam and Brand out there, this version of this team this year. Now, it's going to be good when those guys are out there, but the question is, 
is going to be better than Caleb Williams in year two, Michael Penix in year two, Bo Nix in year two at their respective schools too, with those teams having made defensive improvements. And this Utah defense is absolutely loaded too. I've said before, I think Utah is going to three-peat as Pac-12 champions. I think because of the tiebreakers and everything, they're going to be able to get their way back into that game. And I think they're going to show up and make some plays. But I do think they could have, they're probably going to have multiple losses just because of how tough the Pac-12 is this season. But back-to-back Pac-12 champs, you have so much of the core coming back. I, I think there's a really strong case for Utah to be the favorites. Yeah, coming into the year, I, I had Utah at 10-2. and two. I thought they'd beat Florida. They did. I think they will beat Baylor. I definitely feel that way. You know, it's one thing for, like, Texas Tech to lose to Wyoming, a Mountain West team that might be on the up and up. I'm not really sure. But, you know, that's a higher caliber conference than Texas State plays in, which I think is Conference USA or the American. Sunbelt. 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 Okay, Sunbelt. So, you know, losing that game at home versus Texas Tech losing to Wyoming on, on the road, like, I feel better about Texas Tech than I do about Baylor. I mean, Dave Aranda's last two games, he's lost to the Mountain West and the Sun Belt at, at Baylor. And look, I, I thought he was a good coach when they won the Big 12 in 2021. And boy, it, it is just not panned out over over the last couple of seasons. And we'll, and we'll get to everything in that game for sure. But I think Utah, you know, coming into the year, I, I'm sticking with my schedule predictions right now, which is... I think they have an upset loss on the road to Arizona later in the year. And I think they lose to USC. And I, I think they find a way to get it done against everybody else. So, um, I mean, I could see them losing to Oregon. I could see them losing to Washington. I could see them winning those games because they look like a really, really good football team. And defensively, I, I, I think they've been really, really stout. But that Baylor game is the opportunity to, to really make a statement. Kind of like how you have the opportunity to bolster your hiring process with LinkedIn Jobs. Because these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. And you want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. Some Power 5 football programs might need to check out LinkedIn Jobs here within the next month. It usually happens. We'll have to wait and see. But you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs, which which helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's like Goldilocks and Porridge. Not too hot, not too cold, just right. Small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster, Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions to apply. Just down in, down in the water here for the second segment sip. Needed it. Had to have it. Always got to have it. So let's talk about this matchup with, with Baylor, JT. No Blake Shapin for the Bears. He's unfortunately injured. No cam rising for the Utes. That was no problem last week. Let's start there. Is it no problem on the road in your mind this week again offensively for the Utes to where they can do enough and let the defense carry them? It should be. It's a road game in college football. Anything can happen in that regard. And also the one thing that does just make me a little nervous about this game is the environment. It's going to be very hot and humid down there. And the last time Utah played a very hot and humid environment was in Florida where they had the worst defensive performance I've seen from this Utah team in the last couple of seasons. But I expect this team that is much more veteran now, especially in the front seven on the defensive line, to have a much stronger response in the game against Baylor. Like I mentioned, I watched the Texas State game back. This is what stood out to me about Baylor. I thought their offensive line was a mess. I thought in particular the right side of their offensive line was really bad, and I didn't see like, oh, they'll play better. I didn't see that. I saw problems in that regard. 
um, when you talk about for them defensively, too. I saw a defensive line that really struggled to get after the Texas State quarterback, who is TJ Finley, a former Power 5 guy, actually bounced around a little bit. Uh, defensive line-wise, they get, there was like key third and fourth downs, and Baylor, who we usually think of as this team that's stout in the trenches, is getting pushed back that, by Texas State in key down and distance situations. Their linebackers were really over-aggressive. They bid on a lot of fakes, and I think Utah's play-action game can really exploit that. And even their secondary got beat, let stuff in front of them and behind them all game long. There were a lot of things concerning about Baylor, and I don't think any of those can be rectified at least in a week when you're playing a top 15 team, especially when you're it's a backup quarterback making his first start against what I believe could be one of the 10 best defenses in college football. Yeah, I think Kyle Whittingham has just got the boys playing at a high level once again, which just shouldn't surprise us at this point. I mean, this is a Utah program that again, it somehow just flies under the radar because they're not flashy. They're the opposite of Deion Sanders and, and Colorado, who they came into the Pac-12 with and will go to the Big 12 with next year. RIP Pac. But, you know, I, I look at what they've done the last four full seasons of college football. They've been in the Pac-12 championship game every year. So me thinking, hey, I don't know that they'll get there again would be going against what has taken place the last four years. Now, to be fair, and look, I'm being a little bit fair to my Ducks here, but also giving credit to the Utes because they put themselves in this position. Oregon blew a 17-point lead in the fourth quarter, or else Utah doesn't reach the Pac-12 title game a season ago. But then again, there's one play here and there that could have gone differently when Utah played Oregon at Autzen Stadium to where Oregon could have lost that game and Utah would have been in no matter what. So I, I think, and I expect the margins to be thin again in the Pac-12 across the board in in 2023 as this season rolls along. But what do you think, getting it back to the, this Baylor matchup here, because I think this is the, the biggest statement game in the Pac-12 after Colorado and Nebraska, which I'll talk about more on, on tomorrow's show. Like that is a, hey, we're here and that wasn't a fluke, you know, sort of statement. But for Utah... If they win this game against Baylor, it is full on, we are the contenders that you thought we were, and then some. We are the favorites in the Pac-12 if we win this game because we've won it twice in a row. We've been four straight seasons, and nobody's knocked us off yet, and you have to come and dethrone us, metaphorically speaking, because you can't you know take the championships away and such, but you have to knock us off of our high perch. And it could come down to a factor like, does Cam Rising play in every Pac-12 game this season. TBD, because I'm with you. If he doesn't play this week, no way he plays against Weber State. I think you roll him out UCLA in the first Pac-12 game of the year at home in, in week four, and they obviously wouldn't need him against Weber State. So what do you need? What do the Utes need from the offense down in Waco to knock off the Baylor Bears? How many points? What does it need to look like? I think you just don't need, you just can't turn the ball over because I think if you give this Baylor team some momentum and like just make mistakes and then get the crowd energized and into the game, I think Utah could get the ball and go on a long 85 yard, 75 yard, whatever it's going to be, depending on the kickoff return drive and just suck the life out of that stadium. Because I think Utah in this physical rushing attack can just jam it on this Florida defense. I, I mean, excuse Florida, geez, this, uh, this, this, this Baylor defense in the front. Like they did against like, Florida. Yeah, exactly. Cause I just, I don't think that highly of this Baylor team. And I think going into the season, I felt about this Baylor game. Like you did where I was like, this is going to be a statement game for the Utah football program. And it probably still will be because I don't, I still think it just looks good to beat a program like Baylor. 
But man, when I watch that game, like I said back, the Texas State one, I just really don't think highly of this Baylor team anymore. They are much worse than I thought they were going to be coming into the season. So I would be much more concerned about Utah, even if Baylor like plays better and those kind of things like that. I mean, Robertson had an interception and had a fumble in the brief uh, late game we saw him against Texas State. Even. So I just, I have a lot of concerns about Baylor, but this Utah team, if they don't turn the ball over, they're they're going to be able to run the football, as I mentioned. I think that there's going to be opportunities open to complete passes, just like there was against Florida, too. I think Utah should win this one handily. I don't see how Baylor, with their backup quarterback in Robertson, who once again just didn't look that good in the game, I just I don't see how they're going to move the ball against this Utah stout defense. They struggled to really establish the run game, and yeah, they were trailing, but struggled to establish the run game against Texas State. This Utah defense, this Utah team is just better everywhere the only actually position that could be funny, and I really like what Bryson Barnes and Nate Johnson can do. I thought TJ Finley was exceptional. So that's the one thing I'll say is I'm not sure if those guys will play better than TJ Finley did last week, but I know Utah's better everywhere else. And at least Bryson Barnes and Nate Johnson are very close and they can also do different things. The quarterback running game, Nate Johnson could have over hundred yards on the ground in this one, depending on how much Utah wants to use him because he's that athletic. And I really think Baylor's going to struggle to keep track of his speed. And I uh, coach Ludwig actually even mentioned trying to get Bryson, um, just he talked about how he mismanaged the quarterback situation, which I agree. He actually got Bryson out of his rhythm, I felt like. So it's kind of the difficult balance of how much you use both quarterbacks. So I think Bryson could have a better game too here. And look, as much as I'm talking about Bryson and Nate, there is still a chance that Cam Rising plays in this game. And that would be one heck of a statement because if Cam plays, I, I think Utah could potentially put up 40. If it was like a 40 to 10 game, I, I think it has the potential to be that if Cam comes back and even looks like 80% of himself. By the way, here's a stat for you. Utah is now up to an eight-point favorite, by the way. Um, Baylor, under Dave Aranda over the last two seasons, has lost five consecutive football games, four of them by by double digits. The only game that was close was that dramatic game against TCU last year where they ran the field goal unit on as the clock was running down, and Sonny Dyke said, oh, yeah, we work on that at practice. I'm like... Really? <laughs> you 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 want the clock to be running as you try to get the field goal? You, like, that was the plan. You know you can just throw the ball into the ground. Um, anyway, so, yeah, not a good run for Baylor here. And Texas State went into Waco, put up 42 points. I mean, that's – I look at Utah's offense, and do I think they're going to necessarily put up 42 with a backup quarterback? Perhaps not, because I think Texas State – Texas State brought in a lot of transfers by the way, yes. like, like, like they brought in a lot of transfers, so they may have some talent. I can't say I did. A, some reason a, TJ Finley was at LSU originally. Like he, he was yeah. supposed to be as good as he looked with Texas state. That, that, that's, that's exactly right. So I, I think you are at the very least on equal footing with, with the quarterback. And, you know, I don't know what the rest of the weapons look like. The edge is probably Utah coaching advantage. Certainly you'd think to Utah, but the Utah defense travels just about everywhere. I mean, defense travels a lot easier than offense. A ground game travels pretty easily as well. And, you know, for Baylor, it'll come down to, hey, are, are we in a mode of, you know, oh, woe is us and things are spiraling out of control and the pressure's on Dave Aranda and we feel it and we're not going to be in that sort of, you know, mindset to be able to win the game or anything like that. But I, I, I don't know. The answer to that question for, for for the Baylor Bears, we're going to learn, but they've lost two games in a row, you know, their bowl game last year and then to Texas State to group of five opponents. I mean, it's Mountain West. Uh, the, Air, the Falcons of Air Force came in, and I forget which bowl it was. I think it was the Armed Forces Bowl. I forget, but it was 
um, 30 to 15 was was the final in the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. And, and by the way, that's an Air Force team that is running the option, the triple option. So they want to run the football, and they put up 30 points on Baylor. And Texas State, out of the Stun Belt, put up 42 points. So I, I, I don't see the evidence recently to suggest that Baylor can suddenly get a bunch of stops against this uh, this Utah team. Y- your prediction for, for the score in this game, JT, is what? I, I said 34 to 17, and I'll stick with that. I do think this Baylor team is another example of just kind of scoring those garbage time touchdowns. I think that Utah is going to be in control of this game the entire way. I think they're going to get off to a hot start, and I don't think they're going to cool down from there. I would love if they could start with another 70-yard uh, touchdown to Money Parks, but I think it'll be a lot of methodical and long drives. And um, unfortunately, that means both sides aren't going to get a lot of drives because of the new clock rules in college football. Yeah. But it's uh, going to work out well for Utah, as I think they're going to get another dominant win and improve to 2-0. Yeah, I think they go to 2-0. and I thought as much before the season. I'll go 31-20, uh, give Baylor a little bit more uh, benefit of the doubt there, being at, at home for a second straight week and playing with some urgency. But I think uh-huh. Kyle Whittingham is such a good coach, and Utah is just a, a better football team all around. And I like their quarterback situation better as well. If you're looking for tickets, I like your situation if you check out Game Time because buying tickets to your favorite events, look, it just shouldn't be stressful. If you want to go to this Baylor and Utah game, you're down in the Texas area, Game Time is the way to go because it's the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code Locked On College for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply again. Create an account and redeem code Locked On College for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Spencer, can I really quick say, too, there's probably going to be a lot of open seats because I think after that performance, <laughs> a lot of Baylor fans, like the casual ones, they probably checked out on the season. Like I, I think there could be some seats open. So You uh, know what? If they're trying to send a message to Dave Aranda that, hey, we're not accepting this particular product, um, I, I, I don't support that, though I understand it from fans who feel that sort of frustration. I think you should support your team through thick and thin. I think Colorado, frankly, is the model in that sense. They've always showed up for their fans or for their teams, and they have been dreadful over the years. But that's just me, an overly optimistic college football fan. So I'm optimistic about many things in the world. Scheduling and college football getting better is not one of them. And we're going to talk about that to wrap up today's show. If you ever want to send a question to the mailbag, hit me up on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore Pac-12, DMs and mentions wide open, or you can hop in the YouTube comments. I monitor those every day, and you can ask a question, get it answered here on the show. This one actually came in from Instagram DMs, which you can do. I can't say that I will see that as quickly as the other methods, but it has been known to happen. So this question came from Matt, and I want your thoughts on this, JT. He says, Spencer, I have a question. We'll have an answer, Matt. As a longtime listener, I like how you cover Oregon in a fairly non-biased manner. Appreciate that. But I think it's time for people to put some respect on the Pac-12 name for its last season. Ha, ha, ha. The irony is not lost on us either, Matt. For example, the media will tell you that the SEC is the top conference in college football this year. Not this media show, but at least not right now. But there are only two SEC teams that play 10 Power 5 opponents during the 2023 regular season, Florida and South Carolina. 
I believe the Pac-12 doesn't have a team who plays less than 10 Power 5 opponents this season. There are two, um, Oregon State and um, UCLA. Uh, Neither have a Power 5 non-conference opponent. Everybody else does. If LSU remains highly ranked after a three-touchdown loss to a good FSU team, and if they go on to win out except for a loss at Bama, I believe they may receive an invite to play in a New Year's Six Bowl over a hypothetical two-loss Oregon State that played 11 Power 5 schools and beat at least one of Utah, Oregon, or Washington. Make it make sense. So on that last part, if, if LSU were to go 12-1 and one and win the SEC from here on out with an opening loss to a good Florida State team, that deserves to be in a playoff, yeah, that's, yeah. first of all. But the point that he is getting at is that scheduling in college football is broken. It is fundamentally broken. I've been on this for several years in every show that I've ever hosted, every medium I've ever been able to express this opinion, it is fundamentally broken. It is the worst part of the sport that I love so dearly. Because what you have is a situation, Matt, in which schools control their own schedules. And yeah, there are incentives in some cases to schedule tough opponents. But there can also be backwards incentives if you play in the right conference to not schedule hard non-conference games. For example, Ohio State, now this was before the Big Ten move was announced, of course, had a home-and-home with Washington in 2024 and 2025. They canceled it. Michigan had a home-and-home scheduled with UCLA in 2022 and 2023. They canceled it. That's why the Bruins' non-conference schedule is a cupcake compared to everybody else because they're supposed to have Michigan. They'll play them in the Big Ten. I get that. But in the world in which UCLA is in the Pac-12, we were robbed of those two high-level games, and they got to put up undefeated records in the non-conference slate as a result. And Michigan going to the playoff with their non-conference schedule being what it was is a joke. It's an absolute positive joke. And college football needs a central governing body. Heck, give it to me. I'll do it for every team in the country at the Power 5 level if you want me to, if that's what it takes needs a central governing body that creates intriguing matchups across the power conferences and every single team in the power five should have three non-conference games that look something like this protecting for traditional rivalries you should have one fcs opponent because buy games matter for lower level colleges they fund those athletic departments in a big big way you should have one group of five game because that's I think an opportunity for G5 teams to elevate their status, get themselves into the playoff conversation perhaps. And then you should have one power five opponent that finished in a comparable position to you in a different league from the prior season. That is the rough framework that I would advocate for that is going to create the most fair experience for everybody in college football, the best experience for the fans and the most reasonable one across the entire sport. That doesn't happen because we have too much of a disconjointed world. And I'll let you get in here in a sec, JT. Now you're cooking. Keep going. This is existing in a world in which conferences have too much individual power. The university presidents are running those conferences at some level. And so they are delegating authority to themselves to set up their own schedules. And then we're making these non-conference schedules many, many years in advance, which is completely illogical, ridiculous, and unnecessary. You do not need three years to set up the logistics for a college football matchup. I, wor- I, I'm, I am the broadcaster for Southern Utah University. I know what these logistics take. You need some advance notice. You need a few months. You don't need a few years. You need a few months, but you don't need a few years. There's no reason these schedules can't be set in the springtime for the incoming fall. 
But right now, because the sport does not allow for a central body to orchestrate the scheduling the way that they do in the NFL. I don't want college football to become the NFL, but I wish they would adopt the NFL scheduling model because mm-hmm. you could create better matchups. You could have great matchups week weekend after weekend and ensure that. And you would ensure that everyone is playing somewhat of a fair and balanced schedule compared to everybody else in the non-conference slate. And then everybody should play nine conference games enough of this playing the Citadel crap in week 10 that the SEC and the ACC poll. It's ridiculous. I'm off my soapbox now. I, well, you you and I actually usually do agree on stuff. So I should say that first. But like, I, I really agree with you on this one. I thought everything you just said there was dead on. I mean... Let's take the Georgia Bulldogs, shall we? Everyone wants to watch the national champion play. Of course. They're they're the best team in college football. They're trying to three-peat something that's never been done, I think, since Minnesota and, like, forever ago, basically. Um, But Georgia. So, you know, we want to watch Georgia, right? They won the national championship. Well, who are they going to play the first couple weeks of the season? UT Martin. Oh. With week two, maybe they'll play some Ball State. Wait. Then he gets South Carolina. Okay, Spencer Rattler against the Georgia defense. That's that's a conference game, though. Yeah, it's a conference game. And then, we wait, UAB in week Four? Wait, what? You don't play anyone in your non-conference schedule that's worth mm. anything? Like, are you serious? And you're the national champion? Like, and this is the other thing that drives me nuts because then we hear all these SEC schools talk about how they're bigger and better and all this stuff. I just watched Utah go in and push around a Florida team. I just watched North Carolina dominate South Carolina's offensive line up front. And even in the LSU Florida State game, Jaden Daniels was getting rushed constantly. Like, so there's all this talk like, oh, we're the biggest, we're the best. But then you go out and play some of these games and we you see you're not. If Quinn Ewers doesn't get hurt, Texas probably beats Alabama last year is another example. So I don't like how these SEC schools and some of these other conferences, Big Ten and that included, you hit the nail on the head with Michigan. Michigan has been doing this for a couple of years now. And it's, it's crap. really infuriating. It's utter how crap. Bad, how bad their schedule in particular was. I'll give Ohio State plays Notre Dame at least this year. I remember they yep, played Oregon I'm fine. years ago. Oregon, the Oregon game actually bit them a little bit because Oregon went into the, the big, uh, not the big house, but the horseshoe and actually beat them in that game. Mm-hmm. Too. So yeah, it's just so disappointing as a fan of college football when I turn on the TV, like the TCU Colorado game was awesome. But then after that, I was like, who does Ohio State play? Oh, no one. Who does Georgia play? Who does Alabama play? No one. Like, it can't even play anyone better. And I, I thought you were writing all your points you made, too, when you talk about the FCS team. Because another thing that's great about that is not just the money those schools get, but the walk-ons, or the, not just the walk-ons, but the red shirts, the combination yeah, of those guys. I agree. They get the chance to play, and they're not going to get the chance to play in most of those other conference games throughout the season so it's just bad for the sport i mean how to your point about the nfl scheduling model when you win your division you play the other top like if you win the nfc north you play the other top teams in the nfc i would love if you played like the other power five conference champ winners utah would not beat georgia but i would love to watch utah try to beat georgia i think that'd be a lot of fun i would love to watch michigan and georgia play in the regular season that's something that would be awesome if college football scheduling worked that way in the non-conference we still always need that FCS element, element, the group of five element too, I thought was a great point by you, but it is just a bummer that there's so many of these teams, especially late in the season where it's like, oh, who is Alabama going to be tested by this week? Wait, the Citadel? Are you kidding yeah, me? Like, yeah, I yeah, I like that stuff. Stand. They're playing Austin P or mm-hmm. Utah State. It's like, guys, no, everyone else is going through a grueling conference schedule mm-hmm. and you're playing a cupcake where your starters are going to be out by the third quarter. That's, that, that's not okay. Now, I am not a complete and total homer here for the Pac-12 and non-SEC football. I freely admit the SEC has been the best conference in yeah. America. They have had the best teams at the top. But like going into this season, they don't have the depth of the Pac-12. Not even, oh. not even remotely no. close. Don't give me this Florida or We just Vanderbilt. saw it with all those tools we just I listed that just Exactly. Won. Yep, you're 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 exactly right. Like they don't have that sort of depth. But the SEC's been the best conference. They win the most national championships. Mm-hmm. I fully understand that. But they have been top heavy. And those schools, look, 
if they were to set up the schedules the way I'd like them to, maybe they would still get through it. There is there is a world in which that happens. I am not doubting that because they're so darn good. But I'm not okay with them not having to go through that test when other people do. That That's what I think is is not okay. And I don't think it's good for the sport. I don't think it is an equitable situation for all parties involved. And that's what I would like to see. Scheduling is the biggest problem in college football. And, and Matt, you're 100% right that you know some conferences will get more leeway than the others. But you know we're finally in a world, thankfully, in 2023, as the Pac-12 dissolves, where the Pac-12 is getting the respect it deserves because they've earned it. They've gotten to the point where it's like, okay, Oregon State is a good team. Hey, UCLA and Washington State aren't bad. We know Utah is great. USC is really good. Oregon and Washington are, are, are really good. So I, I lament that it's going to die after this year when we're finally at that sort of level where we have the competitive depths to go toe-to-toe with every conference in the country. Maybe not the high-end team, but but you know one through eight, give me a conference better than the Pac-12 when you put Colorado into the fold. I don't think you can find it uh, uh, right now. So that's that, that's about as condensed a version as we could as we could give. But great question, Matt. JT Wistersill, host of Locked On Utes. Uh, he thinks Baylor wins. I th- or no, he thinks Utah wins over Baylor. Oh, well, that was almost a misstep. Uh, it's late as we're recording the show. Forgive me, JT. But I think Utah wins. I'm going to do the rest of the games uh, and the predictions tomorrow on the show. JT, my man, great as always. It was a lot of fun. And Spencer, before we get out of here, I do just want to toot our own horn for something we said back in the summer. Did you see Clemson lost? And it wasn't DJU's fault, by the way, because that's all, all I heard about. Wow. It's DJU almost was all their problems. That's I all know. It's almost <laughs> like if you give a guy a good support system, he's going to look a lot better. What a concept. Uh, appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.